Good morning. We'll uh, continue in our study of the book of Ephesians by uh, turning to chapter 5 and verse 18. And indeed, as Ron hinted, the topic of the study will be the Holy Spirit, and uh, particularly a phrase called, be filled with the Spirit. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18. And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God, being filled with the Spirit. This week, I had the uh, opportunity to uh, see all my kids getting sick, starting uh, with uh, Nessia about a week ago and kind of going through them one by one. And uh, one of the things you noticed about kids when they're sick may apply to adults as well, is that their energy level drops. If I can have a first picture up to the uh, man behind the curtain. So that's a picture of Eliana when she was actually about four years old. So it doesn't apply. Now you'd look at her and you'd say, well, you know, she looks kind of happy. Maybe, you know, doesn't, nothing about her that looks particularly wrong. Unless you know her, and if you go to the next picture, this is what she's usually like. <laughs> so there was a drop in the energy level. And uh, so this week, as one child after another got sick, you could see a child wasn't behaving the way they normally do. They were kind of slowed down, mellowed down. Sometimes they still look somewhat happy. Next picture. This was Nessia. Again, at least a couple of years ago. And, uh, you know, she's smiling. But uh, next picture, you know, she wasn't quite her usual self in that pre previous picture. You could kind of tell not always well. Now, I want to think about us as believers today. How are you doing? How are you doing? And uh, you might be kind of sitting there and smiling. And uh, I might say, well, it looks okay. And you might feel that you're doing okay. But the question is, what is the reference that we're judging against? Are we feeling that we're okay because this is the way that we've kind of been for a while? This is the way other Christians seem to be behaving around us, and so, you know, they're okay, we're okay, we're all okay. What is your reference for the energy level we should have as believers? And that's what we want to think about today as we think of being filled with the Spirit. First of all, who is the Spirit? We're told in the Bible that uh, there are three persons. Well, first of all, we're told in the Bible that there's just one God. But then we're told of three persons who are God. God the Father, God the Son, that's the Lord Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And he's a distinct person in the Godhead. Now we want to think a little bit about 
the Holy Spirit and the impact he should have in our lives as believers. So you could turn, or I'll just read the verse. Luke chapter 3, verse 16. This is John the Baptist in his ministry as the forerunner of the Messiah. The forerunner of the Messiah. He was preparing people for the Lord Jesus, and he said this, John 3.16, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, I'm trying to think back to what would have been in the mind of the people as they heard John preaching that message. Today we might read about being baptized in the Holy Spirit and we may not think much of it or we may have certain ideas. For them, being baptized by the Holy Spirit would make them think of the great works that God has done in the past in the power of the Holy Spirit. And they would think of people like Gideon, whom the Holy Spirit put on as a cloak and used him and 300 people to defeat over 100,000 enemies of the nation of Israel. They would think of Samson taking apart the gates of the city of Gaza and carry them uphill for miles. They would think about great power that God gives through the Holy Spirit. And so when John the Baptist is saying, there, come, there comes one after me who is greater than I, I'm just baptizing in water. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. They were saying, wow, that's what he'll do. And that was the purpose of John the Baptist, to point people to Jesus and get them to be interested in Jesus and what Jesus would do. Jesus would baptize them in the Holy Spirit. Next, uh, we could look at uh, John chapter 7, where um, on the day of Pentecost, now in the Hebrew calendar there's various holidays and God had a purpose for each holiday, it had some sort of a picture, some sort of a spiritual meaning. And the day of Pentecost, sorry, not the day of Pentecost, the day uh, was the Feast of, uh, of Tabernacles. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the Feast of Tabernacles, they were to remember how they used to travel with God through the wilderness, living in tabernacles or tents. It was supposed to remind them of that special fellowship that they had with God during that period of time. And uh, Jesus says, John 7, verse 37, On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him, would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The, the Feast of the Tabernacles, thinking about fellowship with God, what Jesus is saying, if you're really thirsting for fellowship with God, come to me and drink. If you want to know God, if you want to have fellowship with him, come to me and drink, and he promised that the end result will be that out of our hearts, those who believe in him and come to him and drink, there will come rivers of 
living water. That is, I'm going to come to Jesus because I'm thirsty and I want more of God, and the result will be so much God will come out of my life that it will affect other people as well. I, I'm not supposed to just contain God in coming to know him. As I come to know him, he should be flowing out of my life and blessing other people as well. And it says very specifically that that is a promise related to the Holy Spirit. The only way I will affect other people for God is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this is an invitation to people to come to know Jesus and what the result will be as they come to know him. Next, we could turn to Acts chapter 1, again, thinking of the relevancy of the Holy Spirit to us as believers, what our lives should be like. And in Acts chapter 1, this is after Jesus died and rose from the dead, but before he ascended to the Father, he was spending some time encouraging the believers in the last few days he had with them. And this was, in fact, the very last time he would be with them on earth, or at least before he went, he went up. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, we're told, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. He's talking about the promise of the Father that he told them about. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus reminds them of the promise of John the Baptist that they will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. It will happen. Now, sometimes we're confused. What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? And here we have an explanation in verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, or you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So being baptized with the Holy Spirit is being given the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon us. That's what it means. But the end result here is that they will receive power. Why do they need power? Well, Jesus told them, you will be my witnesses to the end of the earth. Think of these 12 or so disciples who have had maybe three years of training under Jesus. They've followed him. They've made many mistakes as we followed in the scriptures. But Jesus was encouraging them and kind of holding them together. And now Jesus is saying, I'm leaving. You guys carry the message to the ends of the earth. Now, I'd be a little, a little nervous about that prospect. But Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon you. Let me ask you, did the Holy Spirit come upon those 12 disciples? How do we know? Here we are on the other side of the world still talking about him. So what he said would happen, happened. 2,000 years later, on the other side of the world, we're still talking about Jesus. Why? Because he gave the Holy Spirit to those disciples as he promised. Now, he didn't just give the Holy Spirit to them. He also gave the Holy Spirit to us, to you, and to me. You ask me, how do I know it? Well, first of all, he promised, as we read before, that whoever believes in him will receive the Holy Spirit. 
But second, we have this in Romans 8, 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Let me ask you something this morning. Are you his? Do you belong to the Lord Jesus? Have you put your faith in his saving work on the cross for you? If you have, this passage tells you that you received the Holy Spirit, because that was his promise, and the Holy Spirit is in you right now as we speak, and in fact has been with you since the moment you believed. Now, we're told that the Holy Spirit gave power to the early disciples. What about us? Does he give us power as well? In Ephesians chapter 1, we're now studying in the book of Ephesians, so we're getting really close to the topic of the message today. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul prays for the Ephesians, which really represent any New Testament believer, which is what we are today. We're New Testament believers. We're in the period of the New Testament, so to speak. And he prays for them that their eyes will be enlightened, this is 1.18, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Paul wants him to know all these things. And finally, he wants him to know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. Does God still have power today? toward us who believe? According to this verse, he does. And he explains a little bit more about this power. According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. How much power did it take to raise Jesus from the dead? Well, God tells us he has the same power toward us who believe. Then just one more verse as an introduction. Now we're Ephesians 3. We're really close to today's passage. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. We talked about that verse a few weeks ago and the amazing power of God. He can do anything. He can do ex- not just what we ask, not just what we think, not just all that we ask or think, not just above all that we ask or think, but exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think. Well, how does he do it? According to this verse, he does it according to the power that works in us. We have such a power within us through the Holy Spirit that God can do anything with it, far above what we can ask or think. And so, I asked the questions, question at the beginning, how are you doing? How are we doing here today? And as we think about 
the reference level of energy that we should be enjoying. How are you doing today? Well, the good news to you is uh, we have here a command that tells us how we can enjoy the full power of God. And that's what we started with. But be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, the command given to us. When I was a young believer, I read a book called, um, let me get it right here, Heinz Feet on High Places. Anybody read that book? Heinz Feet on High Oh, quite a few hands. And uh, in that story, the heroine of the story is, uh, I guess, like a deer or something of that, a hind, whatever a hind means, some sort of a deer, a young female deer, I believe. And, uh, you know, she's kind of weak and nervous and afraid of, you know, her family and those around her. And the Lord comes, representing the Lord Jesus, and he takes her out of that situation and he brings her through all kinds of experiences until at the end she is now spiritually strong and she's able to serve the Lord. And as I was reading that story, I came under a conviction that, you know, I, I'm missing something in the Christian life. I don't have everything that I need in order to serve God. And I was being discipled by Rick Bellis at the time. And so I came to him and I said, Rick, what am I missing? What is it that I don't have to serve God with? And Rick said, you have everything you need to serve God. You have received the Holy Spirit. And all the power of the Holy Spirit is with you. You have everything you need to serve God. You don't need some second experience in grace. You have the power. Now, not you. The Holy Spirit has the power, but the Holy Spirit is within you. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? How do we obey the command to be filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, the first suggestion we have of what it means is the comparison with drinking, right? It says, and do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when we say someone is drunk with wine, we don't mean that he just drank some wine, right? You could technically drink wine, and it may not have much impact on you. When we say someone is drunk with wine, we mean he's at the level where wine has control over him. And that's what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean I need somehow more of the Holy Spirit. It means I need to come under the, under the control of the Holy Spirit. And again, I'm giving that as a command. It's not that the Holy Spirit will all of a sudden come and grab control over me and do something with me. Now, God could if he wants to. Okay? But that's not what we're talking about because I am told to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The truth is, the Holy Spirit already wants to rule my life, to control my life. The issue is whether I'm letting the Holy Spirit to do so or not. The Holy Spirit is pictured as a dove when he comes down upon the Lord Jesus. And we think of doves as very, very gentle creatures. And that's what the Holy Spirit, he is filled with all the power of God, but he will not force himself upon us. What is it that's preventing me from being controlled by the Spirit? Galatians 5, 16 and 17 tells us, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
For the lust of the for the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. There is in the Christian life a battle. And uh, I've experienced that battle. I imagine, I'm not going to ask for raised hands, that anybody who is here as a believer has experienced the battle between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit is in our life and he desires us to do the will of God and he guides us to do the will of God. But at the same time, I have my flesh which resists the will of God and wants to serve myself. If you want to know what the, the flesh wants, I've been told, take the H off and reverse the letters. And you end up with self. When I'm seeking myself, I am resisting the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. Let me give you a couple of examples. I've recently bought a house. Actually, it's been a couple of years now I bought a house. But... Uh, I was looking for a house for about 10 years before that. And I would spend some time looking for a house, and then I'd give it up and wait a few years, and I'd look for a house for a while, and I'd give up and wait for a couple of years. I'd look for a house, and uh, eventually the Lord gave us a house. But one of the reasons that I would stop looking for a house is because it impacted me spiritually. I was not enjoying fellowship with God anymore. And the reason I wasn't is because I was seeking self. I was looking for a house, not for God and what God might want to do with the house, but for what the house would do for me. I wanted <clears throat> the financial security that a house brings, the opportunity to grow my personal fortune that a house might bring. All things driven by self and not by God. And I'd become convicted after a while, boy, I'm really not walking side by side with God. And the reason was I was seeking self and not God. And at some point I would just break off and say, I can't take it, Lord. This, this search for a house is destroying me. I would have nothing with it. And I'd stop looking for a house until a few years later and I would start again. Um, so that's kind of a big one, the seeking for self. The smaller example I have is uh, ever since having kids... Uh, it's been harder to go out to the movies. Now, I don't recommend people go to go to the movies, but probably Sean and I would go maybe four or five times a year to watch a movie. Well, after having kids, it becomes more difficult because you have to find a babysitter for your child, and that usually doesn't work when a ch you have a nursing child, right? Because, you know, the child only lasts for two or three hours before you need to nurse the child again. So you have to make do without going to the movies for a year or two. And after that, you really kind of want to go to the movies again. And uh, it got to the point that I would usually get to go to the movies about once a year. That's when we went down in Los Angeles, uh, visiting my parents, because my parents would be happy to watch the kids while Sharon and I would go to the movies. And uh, so, you know, I would do fine, you know, for, without watching a movie, uh, but when it came to the day that we were supposed to watch a movie, that's what was on my mind. And boy, usually those days were not very spiritual days for me. <laughs> you know, I really found I was not walking with the Lord. I was not enjoying the Lord. And often all these things would come in the way between me and watching a movie, you know, wonder why. 
You know, you're not in the will of God and things don't line up. It's the opposite of power. It's weakness. And the reason is the Holy Spirit will not give you power when you seek your own things. When will the Holy Spirit give you power? Romans 8.5 For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according or with the power of the Spirit have to set their mind on the things of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit will only give you power when you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. When you want to do the will of God, that's when the power of the Holy Spirit works along with you because that's what He wants to do too. The two of you are now working in cohorts as opposed to against each other. How do we know the will of God to set our mind of the will of God? We talked about it last time, but uh, let me take you to a, a parallel passage to the one we're studying. is Colossians 3.16. It says, the, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. <clears throat> it should sound familiar to the verse we just read in Ephesians, right? In Ephesians we're reading, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Sounds similar, right? Being filled with the Holy Spirit, and letting the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Why? Because it is the word of Christ that is the mind of the Spirit and the will of God. If you want to know what the will of God is, you have your answer right here. Let this word dwell with you richly. I used to be a fan of uh, revivals. I used to like listening to messages on revivals. And I remember... Uh, once talking to Brother today uh, here about revivals and how great revivals are. And he, he said this to me, and his family will probably be quoting me, so I better get it right. But uh, he said, God decides when to work a revival. But we each have a personal responsibility to have a personal revival in our lives. Personal revival being spirit-filled, if you would, as our passage describes it. And I've had periods in my life where I've been kind of colder and not really enjoying what I would call a personal revival, and periods in my life where I was warmer, spiritually speaking, and enjoying more of a, what you might call a personal revival. And one of these recent periods of times, uh, actually really the, uh, it, it started when... Don challenged us as a congregation to memorize the book of Ephesians. Remember that? Anyone convicted that they haven't been doing it? <laughs> well, I took it seriously. I thought, boy, this would be really great to do, to memorize the book of Ephesians. And so I've started working on it. I haven't memorized the whole book of Ephesians, at least not yet. But I started working on it. And I found it really blessed me in my daily life to be thinking about the Word of God and reciting the Word of God because the way you memorize a book is this. You do it one verse at a time. And the way you do one verse is you read the verse 
and then you read the verse, and then you read the verse, and then you read the verse. And eventually, enough of it sticks that you can actually say it without looking at the page, and that means you have to say it again, and again, and again. And so, I would often even use my commute to work, so I'd be driving in my car, I mentioned to someone, it's about a half an hour commute, and I would use that to repeat the verses that I learned so that I won't forget them, and maybe try to add one or two verses every day, or as, as often as I was able to add verses. And uh, you would do that, and one of the verses that uh, really would impact me every time I would go through it, and you like, you go through a verse and it kind of hits you like a brick, and you can't go to the next one because it's so convicting, and that is uh, Ephesians 4.1 says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. So this is really Paul, after he finished telling us all the blessings that God has given us in the first three chapters of Ephesians, he is now turning to the practical side of Ephesians and he tells us how we should walk in view of all of God's blessing. And the first word or two words that come out is in all lowliness. And I would just get stuck because I couldn't get over it. In all lowliness? You mean I need to humble myself under other people? You mean I need to esteem other people as higher than myself? And of course I know that is what God wants me to do, but it's so hard to do. And yet that's what the Word of God tells you. And as you spend your time, whenever you do it, and I hope you do it often, reading the Word of God, God will speak to you or will desire to speak to you out of His Word and he'll bring a verse or a word to mind and apply it to a situation in your life. And it's like you hear God speaking to you about that issue in your life. And you have a choice what you will do. Will you obey God in this thing? Or will you do what you want to do and serve self? To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to obey God as he reveals to you the mind of his Spirit. It is a command each and every one of us can obey. He's given to us the power, but he will not force us to do it. When Peter saw Jesus walking on water, and Jesus said to him, Peter, come to me. Peter had a choice. Was he going to walk to Jesus on water? But it's impossible to walk on water. I'm not going to get out there in the stormy sea and walk across the water to Jesus. But Jesus said, come to me. And if you obey Jesus and you do what he tells you to do, if you obey the voice of the Spirit as he shows you something out of the Scripture, he provides the power. And the only way you will ever experience the power of God is when you go beyond your own limits. If I'm only willing to do what God tells me to do, which I can provide for myself by my own resources... There is no need for the power of the Holy Spirit. But I'm willing to step beyond what I can do and do what the Spirit asks me to do. That is when the power of the Holy Spirit comes and can be expressed. How do we know what the mind of the Spirit is? By the Word of God. Now, I believe and experience that God doesn't have to just use his word to 
to prompt me to do something. Something, you know, sometimes I'll just be convicted about something. Like recently, um, it was Don turns to, to preach um, at the 11 o'clock hour. And uh, for whatever reason, the Lord wouldn't give me do rest during the week leading to it and suggested to me that I should preach a message that I prepared some years before that, which I never preached because I got sick while being in Los Angeles, probably wanting to watch a movie. And, uh, and, and Don stepped out and preached instead of me that morning. And he preached a gospel message. There was a visitor that day. So very appropriate. And uh, so I called Don and I told him, I, I don't know, I've never done this before, but I'd like to offer to preach for you on Sunday. This was Friday that I called him and made that offer. And uh, he said he wanted to pray about it and get back to me. And then he got back to me and he explained why he was going to let me preach on Sunday. And the reason why, the message he had was not for unbelievers. It was a message for believers. But he knew of a number of unbelievers that were going to come that Sunday. And he thought, boy, a gospel message would be appropriate for them. But the text I have is not a gospel message. But here comes Noad out of the blue. And he says he wants to preach this message, which is a gospel message. So, again, that, that was just an example. The Holy Spirit can't prompt you to do something. I may be driving in my car and not reciting verses. I don't always recite verses. And the Lord would bring a believer that's struggling with something in their lives to my mind. And, you know, I can just say, well, you know, yeah, too bad for that believer. I feel really bad for them. Or I can sense, well, that's the Holy Spirit's leading. I'm going to pray for that person right now. And maybe I'll go beyond that and I'll say, you know, I should do more than just pray for that person. Maybe I'll send them a card. I'll pick up the phone and call them and encouraging them. The prompting of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, a couple of young ladies uh, knocked at the door of my house. I believe it was Sunday around 9 p.m. with a tray of cookies. And uh, they wanted to encourage Sharon. They felt that Sharon needed some encouragement, so they just showed up with some cookies. An opportunity, the Holy Spirit prompts you to do something, do it. Because that's your opportunity to be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Okay, uh, so we talked about what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit. The next three verses we have in our passage, the last three verses we have in the passage, are about what does it look like when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I want you to think about is, what will, our, what will a, your life look like if this describes you? And B, what will this church look like if we were all spirit-filled believers? All right, the first description we have is in verse 19. It says, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Can you imagine us all speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord? Uh, the image this brings to me, or what it makes me think about, is being overflowing with joy. You're just rejoicing. And sometimes you see people like that. They're going around, they sing a hymn or pray a song. They're just so happy in the Lord. You know, that's the way the Lord wants all of us to be all the time. What is the secret of joy 
in the Lord. I, I have to confess, you know, sometimes I come to church with a long face on. And I see a lot of other long faces at church. And it's not what the Lord wants us to be. What's the secret for joy in the Lord? 1 John 1, verse 3, John is writing to New Testament believers like us, and he says, That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John wrote to them so that they'll have fellowship with him. And he was telling them, your fellowship is not just with me, it is with God the Father and with God the Son. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. <clears throat> the secret for joy in the Christ Christian life is fellowship with God. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The key to have fellowship with God is to be filled with the Spirit and always do those things that God the Spirit is speaking to you about in your life. That's the key for fellowship with God. And if you have fellowship with God, you have joy because as Jesus is uh, prophesied to say in the Psalms, in your presence is the fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The pleasures of God and fellowship with God cannot be compared with. I have no more joy than when I am in the midst of fellowship with God. I, I mentioned in the past having this trial when Sharon and I heard that Eliana was going to be born with a serious birth defect, as they call it. And uh, during the time we got this, we were not perhaps really walking with the Spirit. We were devastated by the news, but it drove us to closer fellowship with God. And even in the midst of the trial, I was able to enjoy more joy than I had before the trial began because it drove me into closer fellowship with God. So the first effect of being filled with the Spirit is, being over, is overflowing with joy. The second one says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not hard to give thanks when everything is going well, when there's a table laid before me uh, for a feast. You know, I can give thanks. <laughs> there's something to give thanks for. But we're told to... Uh, that the sign of being filled with the Spirit is giving thanks always for all things. How can I give thanks for all things? Um, we're told in James chapter 1, verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, 
So when bad things happen to us, we're told to count it all joy. Why? How can I count it all joy when I fall into trials, when bad things happen to me? And it explains it, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If I have the mind of the spirit, instead of being having the mind of the flesh, if I have the mind of the flesh, there is no way I can be happy when bad things happen to me. But if I have the mind of the spirit and I'm thinking of the things of God and realize that through the trial, God is working in my life and changing the way that I am, so that in my life I can bring God greater glory and I can be a greater blessing in the lives of others, I can rejoice and say, well, this is a terrible trial. And, you know, I, I don't like it, but I know God is using it for my good. And he will bring blessings out of it. And so I can have joy and give thanks even when bad things happen because I realize God is using it in my life to do good things. Only possible when you're filled by the Spirit, by the way. Don't, don't try this at home. The last one, so being filled with joy, being filled with thanks, or overflowing with joy, overflowing with thanks. The last one, I said overflowing with humility. And I told you already how hard it is for me to submit myself under others. But what it said, that's what it says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Now, again, in my flesh, I always try to raise myself above others. <clears throat> but the Spirit doesn't care about what you think of me. The Spirit cares about what you think of God and whether God is being glorified with something. The Spirit cares about whether I am being a blessing to others. And so if I have the mind of the Spirit, my greatest goal should be the glory of God and the blessing of others, not what God is doing for me. And uh, it could be, often happens after a message, that someone will come to me and correct me about something and say, Noad, you know, I was listening to you and you said such and such. And, you know, I really don't think that's what the Bible teaches. And if I desire the glory of God and the blessing of others, I will gladly submit myself to this person and learn what it is that they have to teach me. Uh, D.L. Moody, I'll, I'll speak about him a little bit later, he started as a shoe salesman. And uh, he wanted to serve God. The only way he knew how to serve God at the beginning was going and dragging people out of uh, uh, saloons and, you know, the streets and wherever they were and bring them to church to fill a pew. That's what they used to do in those days. They would rent a pew. So he would rent a pew and then he would drag people and bring them and sit them so they would listen to the church message. And, uh, but he wanted to serve God more. And so he went ahead and, and started teaching. And he asked for a Sunday school. The church wouldn't give him a Sunday school. They said, you need to go start your own Sunday school because we're not prepared to give any of our Sunday schools to you. And so he went and he started teaching. And sometimes people would listen to him and say, boy, this guy is full of mistakes and the things that he says. And they would come to him and correct them. And he very humbly said, you know, thank you for coming and giving me feedback. And he would learn everything people 
could give to him. And he became, in his day, probably one of the greatest preachers of his day. And God used him in great ways. I'll talk about that later. But the key was humility. The Bible says iron sharpens iron. So does uh, a man the countenance of his friend. If you want to improve, you need to let God work in you through other people. And the only way God can do it is if you submit yourselves to one another for correction. <clears throat> what would our church be like if we were overflowing with joy, overflowing with thanks, overflowing with submission, submitting to one another in the fear of God? What kind of a church will this be? Uh, sometimes when I think about being filled with the Spirit, I think, well, being filled with the Spirit is going out and witnessing to people and seeing people saved left and right. That's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. And uh, that's not what this passage talks about. Now, not that being filled with the Spirit can't be that, but let me ask you, what would be the result of your life if you are always filled with joy, always filled with thanksgiving, and always filled with humility? What kind of impact would you have on others? We're told in 1 Peter 3.15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. If we have those kinds of lives, people will be asking us questions. Why are you happy all the time? How can you give thanks in this situation? And how is it that you're so humble? Well, and then we can share the gospel. So there was a testimony, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then all we have to do is explain, well, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me close with this. I started talking about D.L. Moody, and I'll finish with him. D.L. Moody took a trip to England when his doctor advised that his wife needed the healing effect of a sea voyage. He lived in, in the United States but his wife was sick. The doctor said that was a remedy in those days. They don't seem to give that remedy today. It's just take her out on a trip in the sea. So he sailed to England. And uh, when in England, he went to a church, and he heard the preacher say this, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. The world has yet to see what God can do through a man fully consecrated to him. You can substitute it as being filled with the Spirit. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man completely filled with the Spirit, letting the Holy Spirit guide him at every step. And Deal's moody response was this, I will try my utmost to be that man. And God took D.L. Moody, who at the time was still just a Sunday school teacher, and he used him to lead revivals throughout England and the United States. It was estimated that he preached to around 100 million people during his lifetime. And that is before they had amplifiers like this one, 100 million people. And that is still true to this day. The world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully, consecrated to him. The same is true for you and me. We have been given the Spirit of God who has literally infinite power at his disposal. 
His desire is to give you the fullness of the life of Christ. The only thing that is limiting how much of his power is expressed through you is you. There's no limit to the power of God, only to your will of being filled with his spirit. It may not mean preaching to 100 million people, but it will mean a life that is full with all the fullness of God, with rivers of living waters, blessings, those around you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to confess that we're not often filled with your spirit, even though you give us the command to so do. And uh, we cannot imagine what it is that you will do and can do in our lives and in the lives of the life of this church, Lord, if we allow you to fill us in such a way. Lord, help us forsake self and all the things that limit the power of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we may see the power, not that we may get the glory, but that the Lord Jesus may get the glory for it and that other people will be blessed through us. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.